All right, well, this morning, uh, believe it or not, we are wrapping up on a series we've been in called Growing Pains. I think we started way back, I want to say it was March, but don't quote me on that, somewhere around then. Um, We've been going through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, and we have come this morning to the concluding chapter, chapter 16, and this is where Paul um, signs off. It's a a letter, 1 Corinthians is a letter he wrote, and... um, and as I was working through the material this week, what impressed me um, was, uh, was these people that Paul was saying farewell to. They were more than just friends. They were, they were family. Uh, there's this beautiful family dynamic, and uh, it kind of just points out the reality that when we talk about church, uh, at least in the biblical understanding of it, we are talking about a family of faith. Uh, to belong to, not just a service to go to. And, um, and, and we've seen throughout this letter, this, uh, this letter that Paul uh, wrote to, to the Corinthians um, to help them grow up in the Lord. But we found out that just like with our physical families, um, there are family dynamics in the, in the church, in the family of faith, that sometimes can be labeled as complicated, right? Um, can I get an amen on that? Have you had any uh, complications in a family dynamic, whether physical or spiritual? I think we all have. We can attest to that. And sometimes um, it's true. We, we don't always like our family, right? There are times when a family can drive us absolutely crazy. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we love family. We come back to that. Um, and, uh, and at times... For all kinds of reasons, um, there are in our lives like these pieces that are missing from our lives that we didn't get for whatever reason from our physical families. Things that ought to have been instilled into our lives, but, but they weren't. Uh, maybe it's, it's just love or, or acceptance or encouragement or guidance or role model, whatever. Part of, I think, the blessing of the family of faith, of, of being a part of a church community is that God uses it and inserts people into our lives who can pour into us and fill in some of those missing pieces. And that's a beautiful thing. And so that's what we're going to do as we look at the wrap-up is see and highlight what matters uh, in the family of faith. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'm going to start reading right at verse 1. It says this, uh, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are, to, are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Okay, so... Um, what this is getting at right here is compassionate action. Um, compassion matters in the family of faith, and compassion is a matter of responding uh, to a deep concern about someone else's struggle. And so when you're made aware of some need, compassion does more than just say, oh, you know, that's terrible. I, real, I feel so bad. Um, compassion acts. It takes action and does something about it. So as we're talking about family, the idea is that family uh, doesn't sit back, family steps up. 
And that's what we're seeing here. It doesn't apply just to our physical families. It applies to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. And in this case, that is taking the form of a collection, an offering that was being collected. Paul is following up on plans they had already made, this project to raise funds for this faraway church, um, their faraway family in Jerusalem. And, and what's important to understand here is that, believe it or not, that Jerusalem church, it was 1,800 miles away from where they were in Corinth. Okay, so, you know, that's a pretty big distance. And remember, back in that day, there was no planes, trains, or automobiles. And so it's highly unlikely that anyone from that church in Corinth would have known a single person in that Jerusalem church. No connections at all physically, but, but that didn't matter. They, they were brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that, that made their situation of family matter. Um, so the issue in Jerusalem was that church, they, they were poverty-stricken. And we don't know exactly why. It may have been because they were professing Christ, and as a result, they were being shut out from economic opportunity. Um, it could have been that there was a famine in the land, or it could have just been that it was this lower class, this poorer class of people who were, who were coming to Christ. It's probably a combination of all three, but whatever the reason, that faraway family in Jerusalem mattered to the church in Corinth, um, so many miles away. And, and maybe you picked up, if you caught it right there in verse 1 when I started to read, you, you see that it mattered also to the churches in Galatia. Paul points that out. And, and what's more, okay, if you flip forward a couple of pages, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which follows up on the same project, you find out that it, it also mattered to the churches in Macedonia as well. And so really what it comes down to is like if you take out a map of the first century churches in, scattered around the Roman Empire, the Roman world, you would see that just about all of the churches got in on this need. They all responded. It's almost as if the global family of faith rallied together to respond to the needs of their one family church in Jerusalem because that's what family does. The, the bond of brotherly love, it's, it's pretty broad, right? That's because God's family is pretty big. It, it's something that's bigger than just this local church, right? It's bigger than just the churches in, in our county or our region or this state or this country. God's family stretches all the way around the globe. It's fascinating. And so it calls us to to tune in, to pay attention, to be aware of what's going on in a way that goes way beyond just us and our local situation Um, so we can respond compassionately to the challenge of our faraway family and what it is that they're going through. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something in me when I hear that, just the, the thought of that actually overwhelms me. It just makes me want to shut down because what comes to my mind is just that there's just too much. There is just too many needs, and the needs are just way too big. And, and so what I've learned, just kind of even going through this passage, I've been reminded of, it's, it's not a matter of what I can do. It's, it's about what 
all of God's family can do together. So, so no one person, uh, no one local church can do everything, but every person, every church can do something. And, and so I've learned and I'm learning to, to not let what I can't do to keep me from what I can do. You know, um, and I think Paul wanted his Corinthian friends to, to learn that as well. And he does that by just going through and laying out a few basic 101 stewardship principles that he shares with them. Um, the first is he, he affirms and he expects that everyone can do something. Uh, so he writes about this need. He says, each one of you put something aside. There's no exemptions. That means compassion is a non-optional activity for the Christian life. It's not, it's not a kind of project you can just put off till later. Someday, after I've got my portfolio all set and all the loans are repaid and I'm able to afford it, this is, this is not something any of us have the option of sitting out on. And it's fascinating, uh, again, when you skip forward to 2 Corinthians and he talks back, he, talk, he gives the update on this collection, he shares a story about the Macedonian church and how they participated and got in on it. They, they were poor as well. They, they had nothing. They couldn't afford to give, but they refused to sit it out. And he writes this, he says, in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You kind of scratch your head and you say, what is that about? Extreme poverty, abundance of joy, put them together and it ends up in a wealth of generosity. That's what you call kingdom calculations, right? So you start out with joy, you add in the poverty, you put it in the oven, you put it on bake and somehow what comes out the other side is this wealth of generosity. And that only happens because God's a part of it. We've seen so many times that there is a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine to accomplish his good purposes. And so the missing ingredient um, is never the finances. It's oftentimes, it's the heart filled with joy right? Instead of greed or selfishness or fear or whatever else. But it's just a reminder, everyone can do something. And there's a second principle, uh, and that is proportionality. So he, he, he gives us instruction and it says, to give as he may prosper. And that's a, that's a bit of a wooden translation. Um, it's kind of difficult to kind of get, see what that's getting at, but it means to the extent God has blessed you or according to what you have. So the idea is that when you're responding compassionately to a need, the numerical amount doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, it never gets addressed here. It never gets mentioned. It's never about how much. It's always about what's happening at the heart level. And so there's this uh, illustration of that, right? When, when Jesus was at the temple one day, um, he publicly applauded this widow, this poor widow, who put her last penny into the temple collection. And so he interrupted everything, stops the show, and makes this announcement and says, she has given more this morning than anyone else. And the response was like, are you kidding me, Jesus? 
She gave the most insignificant amount. She gave a penny. That's not going to do anything. And he responds says, no, she gave everything she had. She gave her everything. You know, Bill Gates, um, he likely gives more to charity than the sum total of all of us in this room combined by and multiplied by a factor of 10, easily, right? I mean, it, the, the amount, and it gets published, we see it, but it's, it's, it's incredible. But the proportion of what he gives compared to what he has, if you look at it from that level, it's probably a lot less impressive. I, I think it's safe to say that he hasn't given in any way that would affect his lifestyle at all. He's never had to say no to something in order to give what he gives. That, that wasn't the case for that widow in the temple that day, and it, it's likely not the case for many of us as we respond compassionately. And that's okay, right? Because whatever it looks like, God sees it. He looks at the heart, and that's what matters. Uh, a third principle is proactivity. So this collection that Paul is presenting here, that he's updating them about, it's something each person has already heard about. They've had time to process and think it through. So it wasn't like some kind of emotional appeal. Like, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make you cry. And then I'm going to put out a basket and ask you guys to empty your pocketbooks in, right? That was not what this was about. The need had been presented. They had the chance to pray, to prepare. And at this point, it's participate, right? At this point, it's just a matter of, all right, let's follow through with what we said we were going to do. And so that's what he's getting at here. Set it aside in a systematic way. He says, on the first day of every week. In other words, do it, do it first. Make it the first thing. Don't, don't make giving your last thing. Don't give your leftovers. Give your first fruits. And finally, he says, it's, it's protected. That there was this plan that was in place to make sure that what had been given would be safeguarded and arrive in Jerusalem. Paul says it'll be carried by credible people. So they can trust that it's not going to get um, lost on the way, right? Or, um, or anything else, but it was going to get to those who had the need. So what it's getting at overall is that on our own, none of us can do everything. We just can't. We can't respond to every need, and there's a lot of needs within the family of faith, but we can do something, and that's what it comes down to. And so when I do what I can do, and, and you do what you can do, and the rest of God's family does what they can do. God does what only he could do. And that's how needs get met. That's how compassion happens. And the big family of faith that we belong to gets taken care of. So that's one thing that matters in the family of faith. And uh, compassion is the first. And the second is connection. So Paul here is going to alert his friends in Corinth. That company is on the way. Here's what he says. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You know, in every household, um, there's certain people who just, 
they don't need to knock, right? You know, like the door is always open, the light is always on, and in most cases that applies to our immediate family. Um, But many times, the circle of those who have this ongoing open invitation to come on in, you don't need to knock, that, that extends to those who have become like family to them. And, and that's the kind of connection that Paul had with his Corinthian um, friends. They were like family. And, and that dynamic is on full display here at the close of this letter. Paul shares his, his travel plans with them, and he says, my plan is to visit with you. And he says, I can't settle for just a quick drop-in. He says, I want to spend the winter in Corinth with you. Right? So Paul is like the original snowbird. Right? He's, he's, he's going to spend an entire season with them, but his motivation is not the weather. What, what motivates him is deepening these relationships, these precious people. He wants an extended stay for the opportunity to invest in them and further that connection. The, the, the word we use is uh, fellowship. Fellowship, it's... That, that, that describes the connection that comes from having Christ in common. It means if you love Jesus and I love Jesus, there is a connection there. There's a bond there. There's something to build a relationship on. Now, it's, it's not automatic. I need to clarify that. Don't please assume that, hey, since I go to the same church as my neighbor and we have Christ in common, I must have permission. I can open up their front door. I don't have to knock. Matter of fact, I can go to their fridge and grab a, so- a soda. Don't don't do that. You do not have permission. If you do that without permission, you may wind, you may wind up arrested. Um, but w- what this is doing is just highlighting these are the kind of connections that get cultivated in the body of Christ and the family of faith. And so Paul doesn't, you know, doesn't have to ask. He, he assumes. He knows that whenever I'm able to arrive, they're going to be ready to welcome me in. What, what a beautiful thing. That's That's what family does. And he extends that same welcome, that he assumes that same welcome on on his companion, on this this young lad named Timothy. He would have been the one who would be delivering this letter that Paul just finished writing to the Corinthians on Paul's behalf. And so he, he tells the Corinthians about Timothy and asks them to do more than just take the young guy in and give him a room and some food. He he wants them to care for him, to nurture him, to to treat him the same way they would treat their own son. He says this, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Let no one despise him. For, For whatever reason, Young Timothy had a sensitive spirit, the, the kind that could easily get crushed. And, and we saw already, if we were here throughout the course of this series, that the Corinthians, they were kind of big on, you know, those big personalities, the charming guys, the, the guy like Apollos, who was polished, and polished orator. You know, he knew how to work a crowd. And, and Paul actually goes on to say in the next verse, Sorry, Apollos is not ready to see you again. He needs a timeout from his Corinthian family. Things were just a little bit too dysfunctional there. Um, but, uh, but this guy, Timothy, he's, he says, take good care of him. 
You know, the Corinthians could have just very easily written him off. Yeah, that, that guy, he doesn't have anything. We can't take a kid like that seriously, and they would have missed out on so much. They would have stomped on the good work that God was doing in him and building up in him. And so Paul says, make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, he's got some growth areas. We all do. He is a work in progress. We all are. So in light of that, be family to him. Nurture him. Bring him in and build him up because that's what family does. I don't know how many of you could say that's my story. I hope some of you can. That church became the place where, where you found acceptance, where you found safety, where you found grace to grow into the person that God was building you up to be. Uh, I hope that's your story. Because outside, there's just so much rejection. There's so much despising. There's so much dismissing. And we don't need that in church, right? And, and what a blessing it is to just belong to a place where you're received, where you're believed, and when you're built up and what God is doing in you takes shape and you become a person with, with confidence, with identity, with acceptance, with, with assurance. That happened to Timothy, and I hope, uh, I hope that happens to many of us as we work through this family of faith um, and that uh, there's stories of welcome, of being seen and appreciated, valued, believed in, and built up. Uh, that's what family does. And, and it's something all of us need. Uh, Paul goes on and he takes one last opportunity to issue a challenge to the Corinthian church. And the challenge is the same one that we've been seeing and he's been putting out before them throughout this entire letter. It's, it's a charge to just continue to grow. So let's listen. Uh, there's five pointed um, exhortations, he says. Um, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Five challenges, all of them are tied together with that theme of just continue to grow. The first challenge is watch out. Stay on alert. Don't snooze right? There's things happening around you that you need to lock into and be aware of. Uh, there's an adversary who wants to take you out. There are things on, on, on just the kingdom timeline that are, taking, that are taking place and lock in on them. Don't, don't get distracted. Uh, the second is to, to stand firm because there's a, there's a temptation to compromise that's always right in front of us. And Standing firm always costs something. Maybe it's a, a friendship. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's the way someone perceives you. And uh, it's so easy to just make excuses. I, I just got to dial it down a little, just a few notches so I can go with the flow and be accepted. Stand firm. Keep standing firm. He says, act like men. And maybe you could say that. This is be the adult in the room. Be the adult in the room. Uh, take ownership, right? Be responsible. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming everyone else and everything else. Because the reality is that immaturity is infectious. And, and that's just something that uh, has been on my heart just seeing that, you know, when, when adults act irresponsibly, 
it impacts. It impacts your family. It impacts the children. It impacts the friends. The, 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 the reverberating effect of that is not insignificant. Uh, so, so be the adult in the room. He says, be strong. Uh, not strong on our own, but to draw strength from the Lord. That, it's a reminder that all the strength that we need for whatever it is that's right in front of us that we're facing, it's found in him. So step into whatever it is in his strength. And one last charge, he says, do it all in love. Keep love right there in the middle of things, of what motivates you as you live this life of faith out and watch out that not something else doesn't get replaced by love. You know, don't let spite be there in the middle or anger or envy. Uh, All of those things knock at the door of our hearts. Let me get in there. Let me fuel the way you live. Let it all be done in love. Do it all in love. Love doesn't let us stay spiritually stunted. It issues that challenge to keep on growing. Just like every parent longs for their children to grow up. And the family of God, the family of faith provides loving pushes to keep us moving, stepping forward. And it's a reminder that maturity, it's, it's a good thing. It looks good on God's people. So compassion, connection, challenge. And the last one is uh, commendation. Uh, let's read the, uh, the, the close of this. It says, uh, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the servants to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Stop right there for a second. Um, this, uh, this commendation is, uh, is how the letter closed. It's actually the way that the letter started. And here at this point, Paul is kind of pointing out specific people who have made an impact in that local church body. And how, how cool is it, like just that Paul is able to actually point to um, the very first convert. This guy's name is Stephanus. Along with his entire physical family, that's, that's, where, that's where the church started there in Corinth. They were the very first ones to come to Christ in the entire region. And at the time Paul is writing this letter, I don't know how many years later, he's rejoicing that Stephanus is still at it. He's still going strong. He's serving the Lord. He's serving God's people. He and his family are still actively engaged. And, uh, and there's others. There's Fortunatus, Icaeus. These are the ones who, like Home Depot says, they're the ones who get things done, right? At the Corinthian church. And every church, there are those who, who get it done. And Paul says, hey, recognize them. Give recognition to such people, to the ones who get it done. Our church has them. And applauding them and appreciate, appreciating them matters. Applaud them out loud, um, and, and rather than do that from the platform this morning, which I could do, there are so many people to applaud. What I want to encourage you to do is to 
look for someone to applaud and go up to someone who you see getting it done here at Lakeview Community Church and just, just express your gratitude. Thank you for what you do. Um, I appreciate what you do. See, healthy families of faith are like healthy, uh, any local, any, any healthy family. Don't, don't assume appreciation. Express it. Express it. And, and from there, um, Paul sends greeting to the, from where he's writing from, uh, which is uh, in Asia. He says, the, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And so again, this is another look at a faraway family. Uh, Asia to Corinth was a pretty long distance. It's another reminder of how expansive the family of God is. And, and as, as they send their greetings, Paul says, you do the same. He says, greet each other. He says, with a holy kiss. That's what he tells them. Now, now I got to tell you, I am not ready for any holy kisses uh, myself. You guys who know me, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit like this. Um, I'm still getting comfortable with Felix's holy hugs. Um, but I am not ready for any kind of holy, holy kiss. Um, but let's not miss the idea. The idea is that family is a place where affection is expressed, whatever that looks like, where warmth is seen. And so don't hide it from each other. Love each other from the heart so people know that you're loved and know that you love them. Here's the last word. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. Paul makes sure he ends this letter. He concludes it, putting the focus where it belongs, on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the focus of the family of faith always Along, centered on Christ. So it reminds him, keep on loving the Lord. Keep on longing for his return. And keep on living in his grace day by day, moment by moment until he returns. And you know, there's no, there's no better last word I can think of than, than that. Right? If I, if I were preaching my last sermon, I want to leave you focused and centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. If anything else is front and center in your life right now, maybe it's a person or a concern or an issue or a worry, put your focus back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's leave here this morning with our hearts fixed on Jesus. He is always the last word.